You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Chapter 6, we're going to be in the first four verses of chapter 6. I'm not going to have the usual multimedia extravaganza today. There will just be one slide up here today, so you need to, to follow along with me in your Bibles. Well, here is, is what we have seen lately in our walk through Ephesians, where the Holy Spirit through Paul has been exhorting us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And of course, that calling is to walk in unity, among other things. And at the end of chapter 5 of Ephesians, uh, we took a look at being married God's way, uh, where we saw that the wife's duty and role in marriage is to submit to her husband as to the Lord. That is, not as if her husband were the Lord, but because her Lord is Jesus Christ, she submits to her husband. And she submits not slavishly, uh, but with her dignity and intellect and integrity intact, uh, her wisdom being valued and sought after by her husband. And the reason for that, of course, is because of the husband's role and duty in marriage, which is to love his wife in a way that emulates the love of Christ for his church. And so while there is certainly authority in our headship as husbands, what characterizes our authority, what characterizes our leadership is actually grace-filled, sacrificial love where we become servants of our wives. And this is the same kind of love that Christ showed His church. And so as followers of Christ, our headship ought to be a sanctifying blessing and joy to our wives. Now this unity of husband and wife in this way where we are two equals, one flesh who are united in our different roles, such a marriage demonstrates how Christ is one with His church. And such a marriage follows the exhortation that we see in verse 21 of chapter 5. And that that exhortation is that we as believers, we as the church, every single one of us, Uh, to each other, husbands and wives included, ought to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ as we fulfill our different roles. And in fact, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit shows us how to do this. God shows us how to mutually submit. And that's because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal. Uh, They are three, and yet they are one. They are perfectly united, and yet each one has a different role. The Father sends the Son, the Son obeys the Father and saves the church, and the Holy Spirit serves Father and Son as our helper and our guide and our comforter. And so that's how we should roll in our relationships as believers in this kind of mutual submission where all of us are equally valued by our one God and by one another, and yet God assigns us different roles. And so Paul shows us how our unity is not only important just in general to the church, but even in this most intimate area of our lives, in marriage. And so today in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul now begins to show us uh, how unity through the submission, uh, our submission to one another and our godly headship works in the family regarding our relationship uh, between children and parents. And so as we look at the big idea of the passage, it's always a good idea to to begin with the big idea when we read a passage. What is it? And the question is, what does godly unity look like within the family? 
What is godly unity from the perspective of a child? What does godly unity look like uh, from the parent's point of view? These are the kinds of things that we're going to meditate on today. And that's because all of us, every single one of us, is somebody's child, right? And so this applies to all of us. No matter what our age is, how old or young we are, God's Word can, can help us in how we think about our parents and help us to think about how we interact with them and give us a better perspective on their role, our parents' role in our lives, as well as our children's role in our lives. And so even if our parents aren't around anymore, God's Word uh, can help us to remember our parents in a godly way and even bring healing to our souls if our relationship with our parents was less than ideal. And of course, for those of us uh, who are already parents, or maybe we're thinking about becoming parents someday, uh, these four verses give us the guidance that we need to set the tone in our homes. And so the big idea of our passage is about being a family God's way. We've been talking about how being married God's way, and now we're going to talk about being a family God's way. For a, for a family to function God's way, God in our passage commands that children honor and obey their parents. And he also commands us parents to love and care for our children by demonstrating the gospel to them through discipline and instruction and our godly example. And so with that, let me go ahead and read these first four verses of Ephesians 6, and I invite you to follow along with me in your Bibles. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Well, let's dig in and take a look at it. Let's start in verse 1, which says, famously, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I don't know about you, but I've got to admit that I did not always honor and obey my parents. Like most of us, I, I did my share in turning my parents' heads gray, as the saying goes. And here's one of the ways I did that. So sit back and be entertained by my folly as a, as a young boy. Uh, my mom and dad, my mom and dad always had me walk to my elementary school. It was only about a mile away, so it was okay. It wasn't very far. Uh, and the reason they, they had me walk is because it'd take a whole lot longer to ride the bus. Uh, so they had me walk for that reason and also just give me exercise and give me something to do, I guess. But, you know, as I, as I looked at these kids who got to ride the bus every day, I was pretty jealous of them because it seemed, it seemed so luxurious. I mean, they had, they had the bus come and pick them up in the morning and drop them off at school, and then the bus would take them back home and drop them off most of the time right at their door. It seemed like kind of a limousine service to me. And so I was jealous of these kids. And so in the spring of my sixth grade year, as my... my uh, elementary school career was was waning quickly I I decided that doggone it I was going to ride that bus and so I decided I was going to ride it home but but the problem was it took some planning because you couldn't just hop on the bus even in those days you had to get you had to get some kind of permission well I figured that mom and dad would just automatically say no no you can't ride the bus and so I never asked them for permission 
What I did, what I did was I just lied to my principal and told them that they had given me permission. I said, yes, you know, I've, I've got permission. They say it's okay. And so the very next day, I got to ride home on one of those big old gleaming, smelly, you know, noisy school buses, and I was absolutely thrilled. I was thrilled until I got home. <laughs> And you, you see, it took, as my parents knew, uh, it, it took about forever to get home on the bus as opposed to walking. And so as my mom uh, was at home worrying about me, she conjured up all of those things that you mothers manage to think of when you're worried about your children. And my mom figured that at least all of them had happened to me. And so she called the school to find out how I had been abducted or run over by a car or eaten by a bear or all three of them. And so the principal, being the honest man that he was, he told my mom the truth. And the truth was that I had lied to him and that I had disobeyed my parents. And so my deception was out there for everybody to see. And so when I got home and I heard the anguish and disappointment in my mom's voice, I really figured it would have been better if I had been eaten by the bear. But what happened that evening was remarkable. My mom and dad sat me down, and yes, they were upset with me. I could see that in their faces. But instead of murdering me, they, they calmly laid out for me my punishment, which I don't even remember what that was. But what I do remember is how they also expressed their disappointment in me. And that was the worst thing of all. They were, they were very clear that they understood my desire to ride the bus. They, they weren't punishing, punishing me because I wanted to ride the bus. They were punishing me for my dishonesty and disobedience. And so they told me, of course, that the best thing to do would have been to talk to them about riding the bus beforehand, but also to be satisfied with their answer if it wasn't the one that I wanted to hear. And, of course, they went on to explain that deceiving them and the principal was a was a terrible and intolerable thing to do, and that telling the truth, of course, is always the right thing to do. They didn't spank me. They never raised their voices. They understood me, and yet they punished me. <laughs> and they did so firmly, clearly expressing both their disappointment and the correct action, the correct standard that was at play here. And so what they were teaching me was a, not only a very important life lesson, but it's also uh, the one that is in the spirit of our passage today, a lesson that I remembered a little later on when I had to ride the bus to school, both in middle school and high school, and there were kids on the back of the bus smoking pot, and, and elsewhere my friends were, were getting high and getting drunk and doing all the sorts of things uh, that we can think of that are ungodly to do. And I could have easily gotten sucked up into all that. But you see, my parents, my parents taught me to obey them, to obey them in a positive sense. But this word obey is a scary word these days, isn't it? It sounds so authoritarian because what comes to our mind is things like rules and law and authority and control. Someone is controlling us. And that the sound of that makes us awfully queasy uh, since in this day and age we're so aware of our rights and, but we're also so aware of people around us and in the community who have abused their authority. But while obedience includes things like rules and law and authority, uh, 
It is so much more than just a mechanical submission to the rules. In the context of what Paul is saying here, we've got to understand this. The the Greek word for obey means to hearken, to hear, and to listen in order to answer. And so what Paul is saying here is that we answer our parents by doing what our parents say. And so that means that as a child, we have to accept that we are indeed under someone else's authority. Authority means here that your parents do have the right to give you orders and make decisions for you. And so as children, we automatically look up to our parents when we're young. A parent's authority comes from God himself, since this is how he created the human family. This is God's natural order of things. For this is right, Paul says, for a child to obey his parents. It's God's natural law. In the human family, parents are supposed to be in charge. It's, it's universally moral and, and just. In fact, even unbelievers would agree with this. At least the parents of unbelievers. Unbelieving parents. But you see, a, a family cannot work if it isn't done in this way where the parents are the ones in authority any more than a, than a baby bird could fly without depending on mama bird. A human child cannot fly without the wisdom and the nurture and the guidance of mom and dad. And so our parents are the ones whom God has placed over us. They're supposed to be the ones we listen to. Not not like we listen to a song with our earbuds while we're doing our homework and the song is sort of in the background. No, we, we give our parents full attention. We, we take in what they're saying to us over the long haul. We receive their wisdom. Even even when we think that they're just nuts. Because you see, that's what I was thinking when I disobeyed my parents and rode the bus. I I really wasn't listening to them, not just to their rule, but also in that deeper sense. I wasn't taking in what they were saying to me by their life and example. But of course, the whole reason that I did not ask my parents if I could ride the bus is because I was completely aware of, of what they wanted. I just didn't agree with it. Because they were nuts. Because they didn't know what they were talking about. I knew what was best. And so while I heard them, I ignored what they were saying. And I rebelled against them. I rejected what they were teaching me. And what I wanted became my rule. And so the baby bird here was trying to tell mama bird how to fly. And so in effect, I, I, I was covering up my ears. And I traded my honesty and integrity for dishonesty and shame to get what I wanted. And I found out the hard way it just simply wasn't worth it. And it wasn't worth it because I disappointed my mom and dad and I disappointed God. If I had been listening in that deeper sense of obey, I would have done the right thing and I would have talked to them beforehand. All of this means, kids, <laughs> that, that we do more than just take out the dishes or drag the trash out to the curb in a begrudging sort of way. Certainly, we want to do those things. There's a good and right to do when our parents ask us to do them or even when they don't ask us to do them. Obeying our parents means that we listen to them, as verse 1 says, in the Lord. So that obeying our parents is our way of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Have you ever thought about it this way? That as a child in the home, 
where you are still living under their roof, your primary act of worship is to obey your parents because it brings glory to God when you obey your parents. We submit to our parents because it's God's natural law. If we love Jesus Christ even more, we've got the best reason in the world to obey our parents because when we do, we know that it pleases our Lord Jesus Christ. And after all, it is Jesus Christ who is our example even in obeying our parents. Do you remember how when Jesus was, a, was 12 years old and he stayed behind in Jerusalem to hang out at the temple and to talk with the teachers? And after three days of being missing from his parents' perspective, they found him after three days. And I imagine that my mom and dad felt a little bit of what they were feeling when I finally showed up after my little bus ride. And Mary says, in effect, son, where on earth have you been, young man? And Jesus basically says, well, didn't you know that I'd be right here in my father's house? But, but look at what it says next in Luke 2, verse 51. It's a remarkable little thing. Circle this in your Bibles. It's an amazing little factoid. Because it says this, and Jesus went down with them, that is, down off the Temple Mount, and he came to Jerusalem and was submissive to them. And so this means that, that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, submitted to his earthly parents. Isn't that remarkable? The, the Greek word in, in Luke for, for this word submit has the same meaning as the word for obey in our passage in Ephesians. Christ obeyed his earthly parents. And so he is not only our example in obedience, but it's another one of the many ways that he fulfilled the law of God perfectly. And so that being the case, we've got to get a little bit serious here for a second we parents and children alike need to understand something, that since our obedience rises up from our faith in Christ, who is holy and just and good and right and true, our obedience has one very important exception, but it is only one exception. Just as we're not obligated to obey the government's law if it requires us to disobey God, neither are we required to obey our parents or anyone else who's in authority over us if they are prohibiting our worship of God or our obedience to God. Now, kids, I know that listening to a sermon is a tedious thing, and oftentimes our heads bob and we just want to be somewhere else. But I really want you to listen to this closely because it's really important. I want to make sure that you know that you may say no to your parents or any other adult, whether it's an aunt or an uncle or some other adult or a brother or sister and, or their friends. You can say no if they're trying to make you participate in sin. Obeying somebody who's in charge of you does not mean to obey them in ways that harm you. This verse is not an excuse for anybody to make you do things that you know God does not want you to do or to treat you in a way that does not match up with who God is. If somebody wants you to do something that, that just doesn't feel right, 
If your gut's telling you that something isn't right here, I want you to know that the Bible says that not only may you say no, but, but it's really good that you do say no in a situation like that. And the way to say no is not through our rebellion and, and anger and violence or throwing things or fighting back in horrible ways. The way that we say no is to find an adult whom you trust and talk to them about it so that they can help you. You can talk to me. You can talk to Pastor John, one of the elders, anybody in this church whom you trust or find somebody, somebody who can help you work through the situation that you find yourself in. Because what is right is to obey our parents, but in the way that Jesus wants to obey. Obeying our parents is above all about obeying Jesus Christ. And Christ, because He's holy, never asks us to do anything or agree with anything that He says is sinful. And so that's why what we see in the next verse is very important and very challenging. Whether we find ourselves in a place where we feel that we must disobey our parents or somebody in authority over us, or whether we're obeying in a godly authority, it does not matter. What God commands us to do is to honor our parents. Verses 2 and 3 say, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, of course, Paul is quoting the fifth commandment in Exodus 20, verse 12. uh, 12. And brothers and sisters, there's no qualification to it. It says simply to honor our parents regardless of their age or ours. We're commanded, in fact, to honor our parents for our whole lives regardless of their character or whether we agree with them. Our obedience, and even uh, when we're obeying God by disobeying our parents, our obedience has to be governed and controlled by our honoring of our parents. Honoring, in this case, means to respect and to revere. And so this respect and reverence is something that should be in us all the time as we interact with our parents. But why do we respect them? Why do we revere, why do we revere them? Why do we honor our parents? Well, because God in His wisdom has placed them in authority over us. Our honor is first and foremost for the position that God has given our parents. In other words, to disrespect our parents is in effect to disrespect God. This is just like how a godly wife submits to her husband because that's the role that God has given her, even in submitting to an unbelieving spouse. And so likewise, as children, we honor our parents because that's who they are. This is who God has made them to be. And so we respect them, we revere them. And when we do that, we honor and respect and revere God. But what exactly does it mean then to honor our parents in real life? What if our parents are unbelievers? What if they have behaved in a dishonorable kind of way by mistreating us? And and we're sitting here this morning and the very memory of them, the very fact I'm bringing them up is just tying your stomach into a, a big knot. 
The fact is, this is not an easy command, is it? It's not at all. Because wouldn't honoring them mean that we're somehow condoning their sin, that we're, we're agreeing with the very behavior that caused us so much horrific pain? Surely God cuts them some slack here. Well, we've got to remember that our obedience and honor is in the Lord. Our, our, our obedience and our honor comes out of reverence for the God who designed the family the way he did and out of reverence for Christ who saves us. And so when we remember that, our honor for our parents has to be in the same vein of the love that Christ has for us and in the grace of God. You see, God never condones sin, and yet he forgives us. We all know that we've sinned and are deserving of his wrath, but he's forgiven us. And so God never asks us to condone sin, even while we demonstrate his grace. And this is why Paul teaches us elsewhere never to tolerate unrepentant sin, but also to confess our sin to one another so that we know about it and, and then we can forgive one another. And so let me just give you a, a, an idea of what this has looked like in my own life. You know, as, as much as, as I have gloated on my parents these last couple of weeks, and rightly so, I'm incredibly proud of my parents. They, they did an incredible job as parents. But I have to confess that they weren't perfect. <laughs> And they would say the same thing. They would not hesitate to do so. But there are some things that my mom held back from me as a child and, and also in a, as an adult, some things that, that would have been really helpful for me to know. And these are things that, that I could be really bitter about. But by God's grace, he's enabled me to show to show my mom his grace and, and to do that before she died even. And now I can think of her in terms of his grace and I can let those things go and let God sort them out because I trust God. Do I still wish things could have been different? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know what? They weren't. <laughs> they were the way they were. And so God has helped me to, to see my mom through his eyes and to lay aside my bitterness and replace it with peace and love and grace. Now, of course, to do this, we have to choose God's way. Pastor John is always saying some participation is required. This is here, where it is, here. But our honor for our parents doesn't come because we've gritted our teeth hard enough or, or through our, our self-willed determination. It comes first and foremost through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in us. You remember back in chapter 5 that Paul showed us that to walk in the wisdom of God looks like this in verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We can insert any word we want to for wine here any worldly thing that we might turn to instead of God. And in the context of, of thinking about our unbelieving or misbehaving parents, Paul's exhortation would sound something like this. Do not get drunk with anger. 
Don't be filled with bitterness. Don't be overtaken by by sadness and, and strife and the horror of our circumstances. Instead, be filled continuously with the Holy Spirit. Earnestly desire the Holy Spirit to rule over you so that God's fruit will ripen on your vine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And so honoring and obeying our parents means that we depend on the Holy Spirit to do so. We are continuously filled with the Holy Spirit so that all of our thoughts and our pattern of life reflect the love that we have for Jesus Christ. They reflect the grace that he has for us, even in the way that we treat our parents and in the ways that we love them and in the ways that we forgive them. And so as we honor our parents, no matter who they are, by the power of the blood of Christ and the the presence of the Holy Spirit, we stand in the grace of God. And this is a grace on the one hand which acknowledges the, the penalty for our sin, the horrible, eternal penalty for unrepentant sin. And yet on the other hand, it is a grace that pays the penalty for us. And so what God wants us to do is to show off the work of Jesus Christ, to boast in Him by acting like Him, by imitating Him, as Paul says in Ephesians 5.1. We want our parents, our children, anybody who will listen to know this about us, that we are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter, and if a son, then an heir through God. That's what we want people to know about us. That we are no longer slaves to sin, but instead we're members of the household of God now. And so to honor our parents means to take part in revealing the gospel to them. And so we honor them by giving them the grace of God. Even with all their faults and their warts and their ugliness and their unbelief. This is a grace that Christ has shown us. And, of course, it's a grace that we as parents will hope that our children are able to demonstrate to us. But as children, honoring our parents comes with a promise. We honor our parents, as it says in verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Well, remember, this is... This is back in in Exodus, and God meant this promise for the Israelites who stood at the foot of Mount Sinai uh, as they waited to receive God's commands. But there's a, a broader sense of this promise here for every believer who's come after. God surely is not promising in a literal sense that all of us are going to live a long life just because we obey our parents. We can all think of people who have done that. Uh, who have obeyed their parents, but they've died at an early age. What God means for us to understand beyond Mount Sinai is that obeying our parents means that we're walking in God's favor and blessing. And so all we have to do to understand this is, is, is to think about how this blessing would look like in real life. What, what happens in a home that's filled with children who obey uh, and, and honor their parents in the Lord to honor Christ? What happens in a home where husbands and wives love and respect one another out of reverence for Christ? Well, there's unity. There's harmony. There's 
There's balance and self-control and love and grace and there's a sense of well-being. There's, there's prayer. There's mutual helpfulness and reliance on God. We could go on and on and on. But the beautiful thing is, is that even as a small child, we get to participate in the gospel. A child who obeys his or her parents gets to take part in this blessing. And that blessing, brothers and sisters, becomes complete when we as parents pay attention to what is in verse 4. And so look at verse 4 with me. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, it, it is only natural that Paul addresses this verse to fathers. Fathers are the husbands who are the head of the wife. He's established this. And so here we see that it is the father's uh, responsibility to set the tone, not only in marriage, but also with the children. But moms, I don't want you to worry, because this is about you too. <laughs> he, uh, Paul, and, and in fact God, in giving us this commandment to honor our parents, has already included you. Children are to honor and to obey parents, both the mom and the dad, not just the dads, but moms as well. And so in addressing the fathers, Paul is relying on the unity that he's already established in the previous verses, and he knows that, that, uh, that as a Christian husband and wife, that we're in this thing together, that we're unified, and that we are uh, striving to raise our children in the Lord together. And so Paul, in verse 4, is simply safeguarding us dads and moms against the abuse of our authority, lest we forget the loving example of Jesus. And so Paul says, in effect, dads and moms too, don't say and say stuff that, about your, to your children that makes them justifiably ticked off. Don't be unreasonable to them. You know, all we got to do is, is think about a, a boss at work who is unreasonable. We can't stand that, can we? When a boss is giving us unreasonable orders and so on. So why in the world would we expect that of our children, to accept our unreasonableness? I think, I think at, the, at the very heart of this issue are our own displays of anger. That's the cause of concern here. And we need to remember our lessons from Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You know, when I snuck my little ride on the school bus, my parents were angry with me. But what they did is they dealt with it before they addressed me. And then their anger gave way to godliness. Grace on the one hand, but also uh, a reasonable punishment. A reasonable punishment. One that was designed to help me to remember the lesson, to help me to grow to maturity. Not a lesson to scare me or to intimidate me, but one that would benefit me and make me walk in a manner worthy of the calling, to walk uh, before God in a good and holy way. You know, I, I speak from experience when I say that there are two things that our children are going to remember. And I think we can all testify to this as children and as parents. The first thing that they will remember, undoubtedly, and for the rest of their lives, is our unreasonableness. 
whether it's expressed in anger or neglect. The second thing they will remember for the rest of their lives is our grace. And so our choice as parents becomes, in effect, what do we want our children to remember us by? Unreasonableness teaches our children that not only are we untrustworthy, but that God is untrustworthy. Because our sons and daughters view us as representatives of the God whom we claim to worship. And there's nothing more damaging to the to our efforts to speak the gospel into the lives of our kids than when we try to teach our children not to yell by yelling at them. Or when we try to teach our children to listen to us when we're not listening to them. When we try to teach our children to treat others with respect when we don't have an ounce of respect for them. But when we treat them with grace, when we treat them with grace as my parents did with me. We teach them who Jesus Christ is. We teach them how Christ treats us. And that's when our children can see the gospel and they can come face to face with the living God, face to face with their Savior. Grace not only includes forgiveness, it also includes discipline and instruction. We see this in verse 4. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Not mean, harsh, you know, mean-spirited discipline. We want to nurture our children in the same way that we would plant a seed and nurture that seed into a seedling and then a real honest-to-goodness plant. But how many times have we caught ourselves, in effect, uh, pouring boiling water on that little seedling because we're angry that it's not growing fast enough? And we, oh, that'll, that'll learn them. That'll learn them. That's how we treat our children very often. But we have to remember that children are fragile. Yeah, they're resilient, but they're fragile too. And our proof of this, all we got to do is look at our own life. Our proof of this is how, how we were injured in children, as children in ways that we still remember. Is there a single one of us in this room that doesn't remember a time when we were hurt? And this is just really hard for us to put away this kind of thing, especially when it comes from our parents. And so unfair and mean-spirited discipline is not discipline at all because it's undisciplined itself. And it cannot reflect the character and nature of God. And it certainly does violence to a child's concept of who God is. Children are given to us by God. They're a gift from God. And and in a very real sense, they're not ours. They belong to God. But he's given them to us for a while, not so that we can squeeze what we want out of them, not so that we can use them to please ourselves or to gratify our own desires. Those would be reasons we would buy a dog. Not to have a kid, not to have a child, a son or a daughter. Our goal is, as, as, as good as this might be, isn't just that we have commendable behavior in our children. We don't want to train them like puppies. What we want to do is remember that they are precious people 
in the sight of God. Jesus said, let the children come unto me. They are precious in God's eyes, and they need to be precious in our eyes. And so this means that our purpose as Christian parents is to bring them up, as our verse says. Not not just so they can cope with this world, but so that they can be introduced to a right relationship with God through the blood and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is our purpose as parents, is so that they can have that opportunity to know the living God. That is a high calling, isn't it? And how do we do that? How in the world do we do that? Well, the answers are in verse 4. We do it through discipline. Discipline is the shaping of the will through training. The shaping of the will through training. And instruction. Instruction is the shaping of the mind through teaching. And so how do we shape the wills of our children? Well, we do it by showing them that our faith is not a bunch of dull rules and tedious morality. Our faith is a relationship with the living Almighty God who saves us through Jesus Christ. That's what our faith is about. And so how do we impress that kind of training on our children? Well, the late uh, pastor of the 20th century, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, puts it like this. We impress this upon them chiefly by your general conduct and example, he says. The parents should be living in such a way that the children should always have a feeling that they themselves are under Christ, that Christ is their head. And so, Mom and Dad, how are you doing with that today? How is your relationship with Christ today? Are you living in a way that gives your kids the feeling that they're in the presence of Christ himself? And then how do we shape our kids' minds? Well, I think we can let God speak for himself here from Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. These are beautiful words that are familiar to us. God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, brothers and sisters, as we shape the minds of our children and their hearts, this happens when we value God above all things. When God saturates our lives, when we set that tone, And when we value God above all things, we value him above our dreams and above our comfort, above our own will, so that God in his word becomes like the air that we breathe, something that we simply cannot live without. And when our children see that in us, that's when we're being the moms and dads that God has called us to be. And so as we wrap this up, The question is, what do we take home with us today? Well, we go back to our big idea. For a family to function God's way, God commands children 
to obey and honor their parents. And he also commands us as parents to love and care for our children by demonstrating the gospel through godly discipline and godly instruction and a godly example. Of course, this, is a, this whole message is a real challenge for some of us. Because some of us here today don't want to obey and honor our parents because of who they are or for whatever reason. But what God is telling us here is to trust Him, to rely on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to enable us to extend grace to our parents. Some of us here today need to repent of provoking our children. And we need to, to learn how to lead to learn how to lead in a way that emulates Christ's love for His church, to lead as a servant, to lead the family by the example of our own lives and how we love the Lord and devote ourselves to Him. Being a family God's way is a, is a picture of how we're a part of His family. My mom and dad taught me that God's authority is characterized by His holiness, a holiness that is expressed in His love for us, and Scripture backs this up. And the reason that I learned that lesson is because my mom and dad imitated God in the way that they dealt with me. They were parents who were full of grace, parents who were full of truth, and that's why I heard what they were saying. And so all of us here today can take these lessons and know that regardless of our age, our, our submission to our parents, our honor of them is a blessing. And it is a blessing that allows us to participate in the gospel as we rely on the Holy Spirit to do so. In turn, God calls us to imitate Him, to be holy as He is holy in, in the way that we love and the way that we honor, and the way that we respect, the way that we submit to one another. And all of this means that we have the glorious privilege of showing Christ to our parents, the privilege of showing Christ to our children and to the whole wide world. What a beautiful purpose for the family. That, that we would be a living testimony to the grace and holiness and truth and power and might of the living God. Let's pray.